Hello, I'm Marco Receiver. As a founder of Guana, I meet mind-blowing visionaries and pioneers from around the world every day. Guana helps them to get their vision out there, and this podcast investigates the fundamental drivers that push them to challenge the status quo as they do. My guests will inspire and educate both of us, and probably change the way we see the world tomorrow. I am not a scientist myself, so they know they have to explain everything like they would to a five-year-old. My first guest is Jona Gorica. He is one of the drivers behind CERN Idea Square, where they seek to apply CERN technology in ways that impact society positively. We've been advising each other for a year now or more, and I find him to be a truly inspirational person who has the ability to spark every project to life. I think he has the coolest job on planet Earth. So join us for the next 45 minutes. Hello, Jona. Hey. So uh, you have the amazing honor to be my first guest in this podcast thing that we're doing now. I think the coolest thing we should go for is like how we got to know each other at first. I think it was uh, Slush last year, right? Yeah. Uh, it was actually it was after Slush. I didn't didn't see you in Slush, but I think we both thought with. Uh, oh yeah, the Singularity oh, okay. University guy. Yes. Yeah, Nicholas Hahn. Yeah, Nicholas Hahn. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and and he he connected us. He he said that we should talk, that we're working on similar things, and based based on the one year after. I, I would say that he was absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, it, it was funny because uh, the guy was like sincerely surprised when we talked with him, because, uh, <laughs> like someone had just talked with him about the same stuff, like the collaboration and, and getting different disciplines to work together and, and so forth and the scientific world. And he was like, "Oh, you guys don't know each other. You should, you should talk to him. I'll connect you." But uh, Edgar, Edgar was really determined to, to actually get to talk with him. He was, he was really crowded. Uh, I imagine he was, he was uh, I think he was on a stage there talking about... Uh, they launched the Singularity kind of application for Finnish people that was uh, founded by local foundations. And then they selected, I think, one or two students to go for the Singularity University summer oh. program. Okay. And, and he, he was talking about the global challenges mm-hmm. program that, that has some some similarities to both of us as well. So he he knew the topic area really well. Yeah, he's a, he's a really busy man though. I'm really happy he connected us. So after that, it's been like a year now that we've been uh, basically been advising us not to screw things up in a way. <laughs> and it's, it's been it's been a good ride, and you've been extremely helpful to us. So uh, actually. Let's get to the next point. Why are we even talking? It's like, uh, let's talk about challenge-based innovation. Let's talk about what you do every day, because I think you potentially have like the coolest job on planet Earth, being in the center of CERN and uh, actually finding people around the world to solve some crazy cool challenges. I will yeah. get to that later. What I saw in the, in the idea square space last time when I was visiting you, that was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, so my, my office is 150 meters from the collision point of Atlas detector where they discovered the Higgs boson. And 100 meters of that is straight down to underground. So I'm, I'm right in the middle of CERN campus. We opened this new innovative space called Idea Square last December, and we're basically trying to connect uh, different technologies and people at CERN 
and connect them with the societal challenges and the kind of uh, new ways to apply them. That, that's the short version. And then, then we're doing a lots of different projects. You mentioned uh, challenge-based innovation. Yeah. That, that's the biggest project that we've been working on so far. Uh, there's a third round of that is ongoing. We've had something like 100 students from eight different universities during the past two years to go, go through the program. Uh, do various projects, how to apply augmented reality research to help autistic people to communicate or certain uh, sensor technology to preserve food better and, and many others. I think that's the beauty of the trans-based innovation thing that you're doing there. You, you find completely different disciplines from all around the world and you put them together on a project without them knowing each other. And you actually manage to guide them through a process in a way that they end up with a functional prototype that could actually be used. And some of these technologies have actually ended up as startups afterwards, right? How do you even do that? It's like, do you determine like, ah, we would like to use like biologists and some probably business people and you just put them all together and tell them like, go solve this or, or what? So, so what, what we are trying to do, we are trying to maximize variance. Mm-hmm. So, so getting as diverse teams as possible. And it doesn't really matter if, if they are, have their background in uh, biology or industrial design or marketing, but there has to be a kind of suitable mix that, that some part of the team can handle the technical implementation and actual building. Some people, uh, some part of the team understands the human element of the challenge and then some part of the team has some understanding of the business uh, viability of, of the idea so they're not building their prototypes out, out of gold. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they, they can do it, but they'll have to make sure that it's viable in the end. So, so they're kind of trying to create balanced teams with maximized variance. And, and then what we've been doing with CBI is kind of connecting two different countries as well for cultural variance. So half of the team has been in Australia and half, half of the team has been in Norway. That was the longest distance we had last year. I think that's, that's actually great. One, one of the best design and advertising uh, universities in the world, uh, Miami Ad School, actually uses the same kind of methodology. I don't know if they, if they still do it. What they used to do is that you have to, well, they have locations all over the world, like Barcelona, Miami, Australia, as much as I understand. It could be outdated information. It's been a while. My background, of course, is design, but it's been a while since you know I started with Quana. One of the requirements is that half the time you're studying there, you have to spend in another country for the same reason, to get the different perspective of things, to get the different kind of touch to it. There actually was a, I don't know if it's true or not, there's a legend of the students shooting a commercial for Hummer in Australia in the desert and then suddenly finding out it's our graduation day. But, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I think mixing up the different cultures and the backgrounds is extremely important in every every field, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah they definitely agree on that. And you mentioned the startups. So actually from the 10 teams we've had, so or let's say uh, six completed teams because four teams are still working on the projects mm-hmm. so from the six teams that that have gone through the project so far half of them went forward with some kind of startups and, and they're kind of uh, working on their ideas and then de- developing them further mm-hmm. and then then even 
in addition to that four teams, we had one team to do an art exhibition out of their project and, cool. and one team with the kind of team members getting together after the project and starting a startup around another project. So, so the skills and the methodologies that we are using uh, seem to be really driving the people towards kind of continuing on this creative path, e even though we don't mention even the word entrepreneurship that many times during the course, but the methodology mm -hmm. is, is really close. Well, it makes sense in a way because you, you give them a really strict timeline, right? How much, yeah. what, what was the timeline again? A little bit varying. The first two rounds were about six months. And now the ongoing part, we are aiming for three and a half months. So we are okay. a little bit testi testing on the format. Of, no of course, pressure. we, we had to, <laughs> to compress the different stages a bit and to kind of alter the process. But that, that's a really strict schedule. And they, they kind of, uh, they have to go through it in stages. So start with need finding and really understand, really understand the problem. Mm -hmm. And then uh, talk with the real users so they cannot sit in a dark corner and start designing what they would use, but they have to talk with the real users. Mm -hmm. Then in the second stage, they'll have to test it out, do a lot of uh, rapid prototyping, testing iterations. And then only on the last third of the project, they, they kind of start the higher resolution development, create proof of concept prototype. So So... They come to that stage from the first two steps with all the background info they've collected. So mm -hmm. that, that gives them really different starting point than if, if they would start developing the final concept with uh, limited knowledge of what, what they were given in the beginning. Yeah, as, as I understood, last time I visited you there, you said like if they don't change the brief, then they automatically fail, you know, they have to yeah. change everything from scratch. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the briefs that we give them are so kind of general and vague, they, they kind of, they give them the uh, problem definition and problem area, but the question that, that is given on the brief, it, it's not something that they can solve with proof of concept prototype, they, they'll have to really understand what is behind that problem, what are the factors affecting it and then find a solution to that. And the funny thing is that we, we have no idea what the right answer will be. All of the teams so far have totally surprised us with the <laughs> solutions and angles that they, they've taken. So if, if it, you, you basically let them out of the box in a sense that you, you give them a direction and it's up to them where they take it. Can you tell me about what are the teams working on now? You said the four teams working on something. One, one thing is the literacy problem. I, yes. I've actually, my team has talked with them and they're really, really impressed with them. So, yeah, so, so, so that, that was the team that was kind of closest to what you are doing and what kind of we are in the background thinking on different angles. So I thought that that would be a really beneficial connection and it, it, it's been looking to be so far. Mm -hmm. And the other themes are, there's one theme looking on uh, water purification and how to make sure that people in development world would have better access to pure water. Okay. Then uh, there's uh, one theme working on uh, uh, job mobility, how, how to inspire people in Europe to go to foreign countries to get 
job experience and to kind of get this uh, cultural variance in, in that angle. And then there's uh, another team looking into food uh, security and food transportation and, and how to improve that. Okay, every challenge you just described is basically a really, really good founding block for a startup. From Estonia, I could say that solving the linguistic problem in developing countries, in Estonia, a linguist is working on that. Then uh, going to different areas for work uh, experience uh, and cultural experience, Jobatic is doing that. It's a really similar approach to how startups are being built in a way that how you built the whole challenge up, starting from the research and talking to the correct target audience, finding out what the problems are, rapid prototyping and so forth. So what you've effectively done is you took the startup process and that applied it to science. And yeah. I think it's genius. <laughs> yeah. And, and the interesting point in our approach is that we want to keep everything in open domain. Yes. So CERN is not uh, claiming any patents or any, any royalties from the ideas that students do. Of course, we want to give the student team that has been working on the challenge the priority. So if, if they want to take it forward as a startup, we are not publishing the results right away, mm -hmm. but we will publish them. And if, if anybody wants to continue with the project after that, that's perfect for us. If we get the 10 people copying the idea and, and kind of we can point out that this whole huge movement was created by kind of uh, spillover innovation from CERN, that, that's making our case even stronger. Of course, a lot of resources around the world working on the same problem that actually is a problem. And if you have 10 different teams working on the same idea or the same issue, trying to solve it, then you have 10 times bigger chance to actually get it solved. Exactly. Yeah. But So CERN's motive is you, you fill yeah. the lines. <laughs> so, so basically CERN is uh, funded by public money. We mm -hmm. get the basic funding from our membership countries and then we are doing lots of uh, research projects under the EU's Horizon 2020 framework and lots of other funding instruments and most of that is uh, public money. So mm -hmm. basically you are funding us with your taxes. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. I'm extremely uh, happy but, to do that. But, but the challenge is that not, not all people are, because they, they don't understand the, the effects as well as you do. Mm. So, so what we are trying to do, kind of one, one of the functions that we are trying to do is that we are trying to show people kind of in, in the paying end of the spectrum that what are the effects of fundamental research. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know Higgs boson, and, and most people know that, but then applications of that kind of using it to create or something that you can see on your everyday life might take 20 to 30 years because technology is just so far ahead and, and the kind of concept is so far ahead what yeah. can be applied. A good what, example is, is the touch screen, for example, right? Yeah, basically we could have built the iPhone at CERN in the 70s. Yeah. When, and when it was, you just put that out as a public public research and, uh, and people went nuts on it and Peter, you know, we have iPhones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but still that, that took uh, over 30 years. And, yes. and what we're trying to do here is that we're trying to create these links and help, help in generating these links so, so that the 
fundamental research, the basic research, and and then the societal applications could find each other sooner, mm-hmm. or, or people who are working on some new ideas that are applied at CERN could see if, if the same technology or same ideas could be applied in the societal challenges or in, in the, let's say, real world in quotes, so outside of the particle physics. And that makes sense, because to get to the Higgs, you had to invent a lot of stuff. And that's standing there doing nothing without actually having an idea square like organization inside CERN that's doing its very best to get technology out there in a way that can be beneficial for your everyday life. One, one example is the, I'm not even going to the augmented brain surgery thing you guys have going on there. It was crazy concept. Uh, we'll get to that later on. But you took the concept of uh, extreme cold that you uh, managed to create in the particle accelerator and, and one of your teams built a prototype that would help to deliver food over really long distances without it going bad. Is that correct? Do I remember correctly? Uh, not, not exactly. That, that's okay, kind my of, bad. They, 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 <laughs> they've been looking into that, but okay. the, the, I think the price tag for that uh, idea would have been couple of millions or something like that yeah. with the current technology so, so they kind of they established they established that that it could be used but then kind of uh, using more traditional cooling would have been more effective for that but then again that that same kind of same team I, I think after that they went to really low-tech effort kind of using some of the insulation material yeah. and then they created this uh, body bag that uh, Red Cross is developing for catastrophe areas. So, so when there's a huge, let's say, earthquake or tsunami in some tropical country, one of the biggest uh, kind of after effects are actually the diseases that yes, might spread out from dead people. And then having an effective uh, body bag that uh, hel- helps to dispose of the body, yeah. Uh, dead people, then that can really change the situation and improve the health. And that that was, uh, I think, uh, one, one of the port uh, hackathon teams that worked with us here were developed that, and now Red Cross is taking that idea forward. So, so the kind of idea started from using the uh, certain cooling, and may, maybe with food or maybe with fridges, and then evolved with several iterations. So, so that's the magic that we're talking about. That's you know inspiring and moving on, abandoning ideas, uh, not being too much in love with them, and actually figuring out something that in tropical climates will help to prevent the virality of diseases. It started from trying to find bosom. So it's uh, it's simple as that. So uh, how the hell did you end up there? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> I'll, I'll I mean, you have the coolest job I'll, on planet I'll, Earth. How can I end up in your position? <laughs> so so if, if you want to work at CERN, there's careers website that kind of lists the more traditional jobs. If, if you want to work at CERN IT or if, if you get your PhD in particle physics and want, want to join the Atlas group, then that's easy. But joining us here at Ideasquare, I don't have an answer yet. Because we are, we are still such a new unit. We are yeah. not uh, inside any of the 
traditional applications uh, channels of CERN. I, I basically I was involved in designing the whole space. I, I was working in Alto University in Helsinki. In I visited this, uh, them. Really in, awesome in, space there. Really yeah. awesome. Yeah, that, that's basically a little bit similar thing that we are doing, but more on the education side. Okay. And I, I was uh, working there, I was uh, doing a couple of school projects. I was working at IBM at the same time, but I was still doing my second master's degree, so I was also connected to Alta. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that there, there was a couple of visitors from CERN who were thinking that they want to have something similar there, and, and they would need few people to help them to interview CERN experts and do a feasibility study. Yeah. Then, then I kind of, long story short, I got involved. I traveled here, mm-hmm. uh, helped with some of the preparation work, and then ended up starting my PhD to get the official clearances and the, the kind of uh, through the different bureaucratic hoops that I need to clear. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Geneva. Okay, so uh, that's why I asked. It's like I'm, I'm not interested in applying for the position myself <laughs> because we're having a happy collaboration, as you know it. But uh, I figured that if someone gets inspired, and a lot of people probably will, uh, how they can reach out to you. So I'm just going to give them your personal email, and you can. Uh, yeah. I will actually do that now that you agree with it. Yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> the, the only thing that if if I start to get a flood of thousands of emails, then, then I might have to ask you to <laughs> remove it. But if, if there's few people who are interested, and especially if they have some specific formats or ideas they would like to do with us, then I'm, I'm more than happy to hear out different ideas and hear, hear about different people who would like to be involved. The challenge at the moment is that there's a lot of stuff that we're doing. I'm, I'm basically <laughs> working on almost around the clock with the current projects already. Mm-hmm. So resourcing and the kind of balancing with uh, new projects is uh, definitely still a challenge that we're dealing with. Of course. Speaking of the projects, you said you have a lot on the, on the table right now. What's <coughs> been for you personally the most mind-blowing project so far? Because when I visit, I just visited CERN uh, with my CTO and I was amazed by everything I saw there. It, it's like a Disneyland of science, especially your space. You guys drove a double-decker from London to use as a meeting room. That is awesome. And also next to it, there's a room with, with augmented reality brain surgery table. And in another room, another guy gave us Oculus Rift demo of CERN accelerator. Like, I was there. I flew through it. It was mind-blowing. <laughs> like, for me, I can count so many things out of this one visit that really blew my mind. What's yours? What's your top three craziest, awesomest things you've been, you either have seen people working on or being involved yourself? I, I think the kind of, the single coolest experience I've had here was when, when I went underground and saw Atlas the first time. The, the kind, kind of mind-blowing. All the stuff <laughs> we do here uh, is, is cool, but the, the kind of uh, 3D printing and playing with Oculus Rift, you, you can do almost anywhere. Yeah, and, and, that uh, consumer uh, electronic uh, show in Vegas. And, 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 and there's, there's lots of double-decker buses in London. 
but the kind of uh, sitting 150 meters from the collision point of, of the most complicated machine built by the humankind and then visiting that, see, seeing 15,000 people working on different aspects of that and, and making it work and making it all come together, I, I think that's... That, that's the most inspiring and most interesting part of the whole experience. Uh, when I visited, unfortunately, we, we couldn't visit the particle accelerator because you were, you were about to fire it up again after two years of upgrading it. But yeah. the virtual experience itself was just amazing. Uh, I can only imagine when I, when I could see it like right there in front of me because it's, it's like it's huge. It's like it's enormous. You're, you feel really small next to it. Uh, I don't think people even imagine how big it really is. Do you, can you tell me how high it is? Uh, I think that the kind of comparison was Eiffel Tower. Of course, the height isn't the same, but yeah, yeah. Mass, mass and amount of material is quite equivalent. That blew uh, me away. I thought it's, it's like a pipe. <laughs> you, know, you're so, you never yeah. see from the pictures, like, like what's, yeah, the, but, what's the comparison next to a human being? And when I was... Yeah. Put the Oculus on, like, what is this building next to me? It's like, <laughs> it is really huge. Yeah, I, 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 I would like to say you the exact measurements, but I, I should know them by millimeter, and because I cannot get the exact numbers on my head, I, I think it would be embarrassing if I said it wrong. Maybe if you're adding some material, like, I can even send you the exact uh, scale drawings. Yes. So, so people can yeah, why, the, why not? That would actually out. be cool. I think that was, would be like the most correct answer. I didn't even think about it, like in a sense that you are 150 meters from history in the making, because there were like hundreds and thousands of physicists around the world just you know keeping their fingers crossed when it was fired up the first time it was it took a lot of time to build all this that's existing there right now that's been upgraded now for two years and yeah augmented reality brain surgery is cool but <laughs> i agree with you on that one but you also fly around the world a lot inspiring other organizations i think you were in korea and uh... yeah I, I was in i was in uh... I don't even remember how many countries in the past, <laughs> past years. You I, said Spain I, I once started, when I called you. And, and... St starting to collect a few frequent flyer miles. So <laughs> uh, there, there's uh, lots of different partners. So there, we're part of a uh, couple of uh, different networks. Uh, of, of course, there are other partner, partner universities and centers that are connected to CERN, and there's a lot of them. Yeah. And Usually, when some of them visit visits us here, sees the space, their first reaction is, "How can we send our students here? Or how can we get involved?" Mm -hmm. So there's a lot, lots of meetings about that, and then introducing what we're doing, and, and then telling more about that. And and then there's another cool network that's actually connects with art as well. How how we started? There's a Design Factory Global Network that's about 10 to 15, it's been growing a lot during the past year. Mm -hmm. uh, Design Factory Global Network and the kind of like-minded uh, organizations and spaces like us around the world. Uh, I visited them when you mentioned Korea. They had mm -hmm. just an opening in uh, Yonsei University. And there, there was the president of the Alto University and, and several other 
kind of high-ranking university politicians, even a couple of Finnish politicians uh, visited them and kind of were really enthusiastic about the space. So that that's kind of other track of traveling. Uh, then then I've been in Stanford a couple of times because interesting link with the CBI and the methodology that we're doing. Uh, one of the big inspirations has actually been the Stanford D School okay. and a project called ME310, what they're doing. The fact that they've been running since the late 60s, and for, for example, design consultancy IDEO has, has uh, really deep connections there, and, and most of the whole design thinking paradigm is, is linking deeply with what they're doing. That that's uh, yeah that that that's uh, quite nice connection and quite nice inspiration to work with. Uh, we've met a few people from Stanford too, and they've always been like really really awesome connections to have. Uh, extremely inspiring people, very straightforward uh, and very helpful. And it's actually should call them uh, in near future because I want them on the podcast too. They're cool. So one takeaway from this, in my opinion, is that if you end up in Helsinki, you should definitely go and visit Alta Design Factory, because when I did, and you gave me a tour there too, you've given me two tours now, in CERN and Alta, that's cool. Yeah, I happened to be in Alta when yeah, I was yeah, yeah, so yeah. good, and good timing. Yeah, it was really, really cool. And, and in both places, uh, when you walk in, it takes a picture of you, uh, <laughs> like in the most awkward setting ever like you're not ready for that <laughs> but I think in CERN you can actually control it right yeah we have this uh, trigger that you can control <laughs> yourself so I have just one question I'm, I'm going to ask absolutely everyone what do you think are the biggest obstacles in turning science into applied innovation what are the biggest problems right now that you personally are facing with your teams uh, from your own perspective not like this philosophical big idea of obstacles of innovation but what are you facing right what are the pain points for you and your teams i, I think on a general level finding the suitable problems and problem owners mm -hmm. who would be committed in, in the kind of uh, working with this uh, random student team or random team of scientists mm -hmm. and and then kind of identifying those problems and, and then formatting that so we would have the kind of right amount of uh, random craziness and variance connected with uh, this uh, somewhat organized uh, fundamental research inspired approach as well so mm -hmm. so finding the right people to work with finding the right chances to work mm -hmm. work at that that's definitely something that we've been dealing with for the past couple of years. We, we've had some really good partners and some really good projects, but uh, finding them hasn't been easy all the time. Okay, but and, if, and if a company wants to, for example, sponsor one of the teams, for example, one of the challenges, not even maybe a team, but one of the challenges, what should they do? Like, they are the problem owners, right? Yeah, we, we, with the current format, I, I think the first, first thing I would underline to a company who's interested that we are not signing any NDAs. We yeah. want to keep everything in open domain. Yeah. If, if they're okay with that, then uh, we would be happy to continue the discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, they're also the kind of giving 
practice freedom and variance to the student team is also a really important point because mm -hmm. we, we don't want to do this uh, science consultancy type of thing yeah, where, the things in the world. Where, where the company think, thinks that they know what they need and then try to control the project too much. I have seen some of them go really well, but usually the end result is, is less what the students could deliver and, and what the, uh, and the company doesn't get the optimal results and new ideas that they, they would, if, if they would kind of uh, help the project and help the students, but not uh, trying to be the drivers of the, of the project. I, I think that, that's an important thing to remember. So if they're ready to trust, then they're okay to join. And, and if they're ready to take the risk, because yeah. with the current format, if, if we give the student teams the freedom to go which direction they want, they, they might go somewhere totally unexpected. Yeah. That, that part of the time might, might be generating uh, millions or billions of euros of new revenue and sometimes just uh, ending up uh, bottom drawer somewhere because it doesn't fit with the current uh, plan. But, yeah, but yeah. That, that's kind of... I would say with projects like that, there's uh, lots of risks, but uh, lots of potential as well. Of course, because you have the bright minds to focus on stuff for three to six months and actually follow your strict schedule. What happens to the people who don't follow the schedule? I, I forgot to ask you that last time. It's like, if they're not ready with the prototype for the demo day, the first demo day, you have two demo days, right? Uh, yeah, so, so we basically, with, with for example, with the current uh, CBI, we actually, we had, when the students were here the first time when they started the project, after after being here for a week, they yeah. had their first presentations. Yeah. Now, when they were here, actually last week, last Friday, we had the kind of, uh, where, the, where the teams are now presentations, where they told about the midterm prototypes and what they've tried and who they've interviewed and then we have the final gala 10th of December where they will present the concept prototypes and the kind of final ideas and and so can I join I, you guys for that I want to join de you de definitely cool. it's an open event I, I'll have I should have the invitation ready maybe beginning of November and then I'll send you the link to the sign up cool that, that's completely open so okay I'll pass it on to Guana's channels too if, if someone's yeah. around in, in Geneva Definitely. at the same time go Definitely. check it out and and we might even have a webcast I'm not sure if, if we do because might might be especially when they're showing the prototypes they're basically divided all over the place so it, it might might be that we'll kind of uh, publish a summary video online afterwards but we'll definitely share more info about that. That would make sense. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still hurting because I couldn't make it to the TEDx at CERN. That was, uh, I'm still hurting. I'm going yeah. to the European Space Agency one but how did the TEDx go? You were part of the team, right? Yes, I, I was part of the team and, and sorry to tell, tell this kind of action, after the actual event we, we organized this uh, small hackathon with uh, Imogen Heap and the uh, Mimo gloves that she, she used in the presentation. Oh, and that is awesome. She, she came <laughs> here to Idea Square with a small team and we, we worked on that. That, that was uh, really awesome. They, they liked the space as well. Okay, that is cool. 
that is cool. But but uh, what was the and, attendance? And it was sold out completely, as much yeah, as I understand. Yeah, there was because uh, we were on actually on top of another detector, top of CMS. In okay. the assembly hall, where they actually put the whole detector together before lowering it. You still have the big picture of it on the wall, right? Yes, yeah, there, yeah. there's a real-size picture of the CMS detector, and they yeah. did some video mapping projections to that. We had 600 seats, and I think we had over 2,000 people signing up and wanting to get in. So the event was... Uh, you have to get a bigger space. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's going to be a problem in, in CERN. I think there's enough space. You have to, move, have to move it to a summer day and do it outside. You guys have a lot of space for that. You have a lot of green around CERN that I really liked about the place. It's like trees and, and grass and, you know, it's, it's not too uh, industrial. But then you, if, you, if you wander off to another area, you end up some warehouses somewhere. <laughs> it was really, really crazy uh, contrast right there. But I'm going to throw this one in here. What's your favorite food, Diana? Uh, that, that's a difficult question. I, I like uh, many, many different kinds of foods. I, I've actually I've been trying out some new things. I, I just ordered kind of assortment of different uh, insects online, and I, I've been trying some new wow. recipes on, on, on that, because I, I think that kind of looking at the hu whole humankind and solving these food issues, that, that's kind of basically prototyping on insect protein and the, these kind of new food sources. Another trial on that, few of my friends actually have this uh, startup called Ambronite. Uh, they, they've been inspired by Soylent and, and these kind of uh, drinkable meals where you get the whole energy or, or basically all the different vitamins and energy and, and different nutrients that you need during the day. And, and is there's... it finished, startup? Yes, Ambronite is finished. The Soylent, uh, yeah, I know. I think they started in Silicon Valley, yeah. but Ambronite, uh, they, they are from Helsinki. Okay, cool. Uh, can I visit them? I'm, I'm going over from Helsinki soon. It sounds like a really cool thing. And also, uh, tell me where you ordered those insects from, because I want to try it out too. If you're doing it, I'm doing. I'm going to be your insect buddy. It's <laughs> your experiences. I'll have to check the link. It was uh, from UK. I don't remember the name of the shop, but I'll, I'll check. Yeah, and I'll add it to the podcast later yeah. on. It's uh, if, if someone wants to join me and Jona doing the insect tests and uh, broadening our culinary experiences, then uh, everyone's welcome to join in and share their experiences. I think it's going to be a bit weird, but it's going to be cool. <laughs> so right now your favorite food is probably insects. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I still have to find the right recipe. I've, I've done a couple of uh, meals. but Seriously, there are recipes for that. Yeah, of, of course. There, there's a huge collection of them. And they're, they're kind of the funny thing is that for the most or big part of the people on Earth, it, there's nothing strange about uh, yes, eating whole insects. Asia and Ho whole uh, Asia, Southeast Asia. That that's completely normal. Also, South uh, Africa, by the way. I, I I ate insects in South Africa. Uh, we were staying in Kruger Park, and we asked one tribal woman to do a dish for us that they traditionally eat. And it was like some, oh, that was some weird stuff. But it it was like maggots with spikes. I mean, like it was. It wasn't soft. It it was like eating 
a pillow full of needles, a tiny pillow full of needles. And it didn't get any better. We, we didn't manage to eat too much of it because it actually broke the skin inside my mouth. <laughs> was, yeah, yeah, the te textures are really, really different. Yeah. For example, this kind of normal maggots are this just kind of squishy, yeah, yeah, yeah. soft thing. Yeah. Then uh, cockroaches, I didn't, uh, there's a lot of kitten and quite little meat inside so that that's a little bit too crunchy for my, my taste i like crunchy. my fav favorite so far i think are grasshoppers because th those are the kind of uh, nice mix of uh, crunchiness and then some uh, meaty or this kind of softer texture so that, that's kind of uh, optimal on that end and and the taste is quite good as Quite ne neutral. What do you, what, do you do, what would you compare it to? Just for you know, anyone. I I have no uh, idea. Th th that's that's really. It depends a lot how you make them and what kind yeah. of spices of you course, use. Of course, as everything. So, so, so difficult to compare. Okay. Of course, uh, I think the saying is that everything tastes like chicken when you don't know what it is. That <laughs> <laughs> is actually. No, 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 no. The, the spiky maggots did definitely not taste like chicken. Yeah, <laughs> and and neither do the uh, any of the bugs I've tasted. But that, yeah. that's difficult to compare. Difficult. Where where did you get this inspiration? You said like it, you're gonna do like personal ex experiment on solving the world food crisis. I think it's actually lovely. Most people should try to do this. Find new stuff. Experiment on it. You like it, or you either you don't, but you actually, you, you know, you did it. You found out. That's the cool thing. I, I think that's more more of this uh, overall attitude of trying out new things and the, this kind of. I, I think that that's the reason why I ended up here as well. Oh, that's, that's true. That's kind yes. of personal attitude. I've I've got my whole DNA sequence through our online service. I've got uh, my. Uh, magnetic resonance image of my brain that now I'm pondering that I should 3D print a model out of that and, and <laughs> all this uh, random random stuff that I've run, run into and just had to try out. That would be like the coolest souvenir to give people who are, <laughs> who are visiting Idea Square. Like, Here, here's my brain. <laughs> just take it on with you. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next next time I'm coming, I want to I want to have a souvenir of your brain. <laughs> that would be the funniest thing ever. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, wow, that's really interesting. I'm seriously gonna join you in that insect journey. Uh, it's something I, I've, I've thought about earlier. I haven't unfortunately been to Asia yet. I figured if I get there, I'm going to try as many as possible. It's quite popular there. Yeah. But if you can order those from UK, why wait? <laughs> so another question, a favorite documentary? That's another question I'm going to ask everyone. Uh, favorite documentary? Uh, can I go with podcasts? Because I, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, sure, think you can. Uh, yeah. there's uh, Dan Carlings hardcore history series that that's basically really well curated uh, stories long-form stories of different historical events uh, wow. first and second world war mongol invasion ancient rome and and he gets the kind of really uh, close to the subject and the, the kind of understanding those different eras and different cultures hundreds of times better than I did with high school history class wow. really gives okay. a new perspective at, at least has given me a new perspective to some of the events going on in the world at, at the moment and with the broadcast format I've, I've 
been doing quite a lot of uh, running and uh, biking to work and taking the bus, where it's difficult to watch any the kind of uh, movie documentaries that yeah. I do at home quite often as well. But the kind of podcast format, uh, so it's the lots lots of different uh, events. So, so that's definitely a series I can recommend. It's the same for me. Every time I'm traveling or even even at home when I'm when I'm doing my workout, I just put a podcast on, and it's it's a really nice way to lose yourself into some really good new information, good thoughts. Okay, it's actually speaking of history, and I just found out recently through Reddit, I think. That you, said, you mentioned Mongol invasion uh, in Ukraine. The last time the one of the church's bells were rang fully, were was eight, it on thirteenth century exactly. And now, yeah. when there were riots, that was the second time they did that. A lot of people described it as a really scary feeling, knowing the history of it being on the thirteenth century before this day. Suddenly, in the middle of the night, it starts playing again. Uh, yeah. I can imagine the the shivers they had at that point. But I'm going to check out this podcast most definitely. I'm going to also put the link down to the podcast and the blog uh, that we're doing right now so everyone else can check it out. But I think we're done. I'm really happy that we found some time to talk and uh, I can't wait to come and visit you again. Uh, loved the space, loved the people there. Uh, really good beer, by the way, and even better coffee. I was really surprised by that. You guys have some extremely good coffee there. I'm used to this small Estonian uh, roastery coffee that's that's really, really good, but you had it on par with it there. Uh, so, thanks. I don't even know how to finish this. Do you know who's going to be next uh, next on the list already? Or yes, I still... yes, I have actually a few people lined up. Uh, one of them is Sabina Khan, who is doing a challenge about AI-based uh, environmental catastrophe prevention. You know, uh, putting all the real-time big data from physical world together to an AI that would compare to seven hypothetical uh, catastrophe scenarios. Uh, in the case of Baltic Sea first, and just, you know, which way we're going so we, we could fix things quickly. <laughs> She's a really inspiring, really cool person, also been working with us for ages. And then I'm going to have a talk with Kat, uh, your colleague, who currently is in Cyprus, I think, working with autistic uh, children because she's a functioning autist herself. So she helps the families of autistic children to understand their children better. And she's also working with a lot of... Uh, science projects there as much as I found out. So these two people are going to be my next victims. <laughs> okay. But yeah, thanks man. And thanks. till next time. If you enjoyed this podcast, which I hope you did, and want to be part of the projects we talked about, then join us and thousands of other scientists from around the world at guana.com. That's G-U-A-A-N-A.com. It's free, it's fun, and you can be part of kicking off some seriously great projects. I hope to see you there. Ciao.